Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy this story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Sue Dubiev and hearing more about her career journey. Sue is the CEO and founder of Beanie, which is an online accounting firm for small businesses. Sue started Beanie because she wanted small business owners to have more money to do what they want in their lives. Sue's a chartered accountant by background and has started and owned multiple small businesses herself prior to Beanie, from bars and restaurants to bungee jumping. And I can't wait to hear more about Sue and her career today. Kia ora Sue and thank you very much for joining me. Kira, it is great to be here. Super. The first question that I had for you might take you a little way back, but I'd love to hear when you were a child, maybe even a teenager, what were you thinking about in terms of your future career? Oh my God, that is a long way back. Honestly, I don't think I was thinking about anything in particular. And I think I've managed to get to 57 and still not really worked out what I'm, what I'm going to be when I'm a grown up. But yeah, never really had a career plan, never really had an idea. So I went to university and studied English literature because I love to read. And then bizarrely got into accountancy because at that time in English universities, all the big firms came around and accountants with the letter A were the first up. And so I just went to accounting interviews and got a job as a chartered accountant or a trainer to be a chartered accountant from my English literature background, which was bizarre and weird. Brilliant. I love that. That just happened to start with an A and there we go. Yeah. That, you know, provided that foundation for actually a, a big chunk of the rest of your career. And then having started that, obviously you, you have continued to practice as an accountant for a lot of your career. What is it about accounting that you enjoy? Yeah, so I've been in and out of my profession, but I have sort of stayed with it, which is quite interesting. So what I love about the role that I had when I first started and to the, to some extent still have is that I can go in and talk to business owners about their business and I can look at the financial information and that's very meaningful for me. And I can have all these amazingly deep and intimate conversations with business owners about their business. It, it's a real position of privilege. You get to have conversations that those business owners probably have with nobody else because you, are, uh, you understand their financials, you hopefully understand them a bit, and there's not lots of people that they can talk to in that depth, and it feels like a privilege, and it still feels like a privilege even now, 30 years later. Mm, I like the way you talk about that as a, as a privilege. And I think it, you're right if I think about you know, myself as a small business owner and being able to speak to somebody about maybe worries or concerns or growth opportunities. And you know, I guess being an accountant allows you to really deep dive into what's going on for the business and what could be. That's right. And I always say to people that the financial conversation that we can have as accountants, it's a more intimate conversation than almost any other conversation that people have. And people always look at me, what do you mean intimate? But if you say to somebody, tell me about when you lost your virginity, they're actually more likely to share that with you than if you say, how much did you earn last year? That's how close it is. People find their financial value very much tied up with their personal value. And so if they're not doing well, they're in a very vulnerable state and you have to really respect and 
think and work through that empathetically to be good at this, I think. That's a really different take on accountancy. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, very true. And then tell me, you said you, you joined one of the big accounting firms. What were perhaps the, the highlights and challenges of those first few years of your career? Yeah, I loved it. I think it was, I went from, as I said before, an English literature degree, which I really enjoyed, but I was actually a bit shit at it. And suddenly I was in the world of numbers and I, and kind of bizarrely, I found I was really good at it. It was, it was actually my natural space to be in. And so it was heaps of fun working with lots of young people, going out on audit jobs. So again, you got all that opportunity to be nosy and look around other businesses and work out how they worked and functioned. And it was just heaps of fun as a young person. Uh, that, that was the upside of it. And I truly enjoyed it. Uh, and it was formative for me. The downside, it was very much an old boys club. It still is but it certainly was. This is the late 80s. And just looking back now, you just think about all the Me Too things and you're just like horrified. I I won't share those stories, but just horrifyingly sexist, really. And I think, gosh, a lot of organisations have vastly improved, although there's still echoes of sexism and a lot of hierarchy sitting in some organisations. But I can imagine that would have been an interesting time to have been growing up and, and developing yourself in that profession. And then, as I said, it's for me a really interesting journey to hear about Yes, you spent some periods of time working in kind of that traditional, stable accounting roles. And then you've had some periods of time where you've been taking more of that kind of demanding, exhilarating type role of an entrepreneur. Tell me a bit about your career path along the way to now then that's what led you to Beanie. So I worked for what was Tushros, now Deloitte's, uh, for four years. And like I said, I really loved it. Um, ups and downs, but very challenging, very stimulating. But after four years, totally and utterly burnt out. And that was partly, I think, still the way they operate, but certainly then huge hours, a drinking culture. I crashed and burned. So I came traveling to New Zealand, just loved New Zealand so much and got a job here working as a backpacker at Topol Bungie and just... <laughs> Really enjoyed that. Went back to the UK with a small unexpected passenger with me. Yeah, so I was back in the UK. I was jobless and I was pregnant, but I was obviously also an opportunistic entrepreneur. So I decided with my newly acquired bungee jumping skills to start a bungee jumping company. So I started that whilst pregnant and ran that company for a couple of years and then sold it. And that was my first dive into business. And what I would say is there are different kinds of entrepreneurs, clearly. I am opportunistic. And sometimes I'm driven by necessity. In this case, that was both of those two things. I needed to earn a living. I didn't know what to do with myself. So that's what I did. Then came back to New Zealand and got a job at a chartered accountancy practice in Topor and really enjoyed that. But then I basically cycled in and out of being a CA and being an entrepreneur for the past 30 years. And typically I'll spend three years in the profession, then three to five years out uh, starting a business. So in 2013, I was in my working for a chartered accountant phase. And um, I just suddenly had this revelation in 2013 that accountancy in 2013 was identical (laughs) to how it had been in 1989 when I qualified. And that accountants were not keeping up with technology. They were not keeping up with current kind of business practices. It was all very old school. And I thought I can do better than this. And that was the motivation to start Beanie. Fascinating. And I should say, this is in no way, shape or form any kind of paid uh, advertisement, but I actually use Beanie myself and have done for the last 14 months and have found it super easy and super useful as a small business owner. Before we dive a little bit more into Beanie though, I'd love to understand a bit more about, you know, that almost that combination of accountancy knowledge with having run and, as you said, in many cases, sold your businesses. What has that combination of those two, do you think, given to your career? 
Well, I do actually think, and we will talk more about Beanie, but I think it's created Beanie. So I do have, other people have this, but I feel it very strongly that I'm equally poised between the two worlds of being a professional chartered accountant with a very strong and kind of disciplined framework of thinking about numbers with the rough and tumble of having owned and bought and sold and operated quite a number of small businesses myself. So I truly understand that the sweaty, fear-inducing Tuesday where you're not sure you've got enough money to pay your employees or the GST bill at the end of August where, you know, I've owned bars and restaurants in Topor and of course in August there's no money in the bank and you've got to pay a big GST bill and you don't know how you're going to do it. And that, I think I feel my heart is really with small business owners, even though my brain might be with the chartered accountancy profession. So that's kind of how that comes together. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's a great combination because, as you say, as much as accountants may well be advising or auditing organisations, big and small, not all that many have really lived and breathed the, uh, that kind of sweaty palms moment of being an entrepreneur and figuring out, have you got enough cash in the bank? Yeah, I like that combination. Tell me a little bit more about Beanie and, and what it is that I guess you've created. Yes, well, it really does go back to that moment where I was looking around me in 2013 thinking the profession hasn't shifted. And and the other thing about the profession, and I say this somewhat tentatively because this is not true of all accountants, but many accountants don't have a very high level of regard for small business owners. They kind of treat them a little bit disdainfully, you know, like, oh, it's just a small business. I don't make much money on that client. I'm not really that interested in them. So they can be quite disrespectful sometimes in the in the language they use about small business owners. So for me, small business owners are literally and practically the lifeblood of the New Zealand economy. And in fact, most economies globally. So small business owners are what keep the wheels on their economic bus. And so for me, as I've indicated, I have this huge level of connection to them. Many accountants don't. Many accountants are just like, meh, it's just $2,000 in my bank account every year for doing the compliance. So yeah, so Beanie was really about bringing together technology to make it easy and cheaper for small business owners. And then my team are really passionate about making sure that they get a good experience. I guess Beanie is not only disruptive in in terms of using technology, but also you've taken quite a different approach in terms of where and when the people in your team work. Yeah. And this really kind of came about, so I really wanted to lower the cost of accounting for small business owners because what I wanted to do at a really kind of crass level was I thought if I charge $1,000 less, then that's a thousand dollars more in the productive economy. So it was that was it was quite strategic that the price is lower. But to do that, you actually have to run your business in a different way. So I didn't want to have office space. I didn't want to have servers on the ground and coffee machines and boardrooms and shiny tables and all those things that add cost to small business owners, but not to my mind value. Um, we started having remote work as a fully distributed team. And then from that fully distributed team, we needed really high caliber people because if they're not being supported in a traditional framework, they need to be very highly skilled, very highly motivated. So we deliberately employed ex-KPMG, ex-PWC, ex the big firms who were sick of the existing paradigm and wanted to work in a different way. So they work from home. They're highly skilled, they're highly paid, and they're, they are, I don't need to micromanage them. They know what they're meant to be doing without somebody leaning over their shoulder effectively. 
So they all work in these small pods of between three and five people. They support one another and they basically just get on and do the business. That's super. And I guess, you know, the, the concept of working from home or more working more flexibly has become more the norm in a kind of a, a COVID world. But even then, I think the recognition that actually you're providing a different career path for people who are highly skilled but and working in a way that works for them and works for you as an organisation, it's nice. If you think about your career, Sue, I'd love to hear what have been, it's been very varied, what have been some of your own toughest career challenges or moments? Well, I think I've touched briefly on them. I've never, and and to be fair as well, I've worked a lot with my husband. We've started a lot of businesses together and we've never had a kind of what you might describe as a, a catastrophic failure. So we've never been bankrupted. We've never had to walk away from creditors. So few, because that can happen to the best of people. It's never happened to us. But there's certainly been many times where cash flow has been so tight that you are up at 3am for days and days. And I don't think I know any business people where that's not the case. It's just really super tough. You've got to be very resilient, I think, to be in business. Those are probably the the most challenging things, I think. Worrying if you can pay your team, worrying if you can pay your creditors. And how have you personally got through those challenging times? I I think you build resilience, don't you? You either build resilience or you leave this lifestyle. (laughs) So you just have to keep on keeping on. Perseverance, build resilience. That resilience, that kind of almost that ability to bounce back or to have an optimism that tomorrow will be a better day somehow, I think has to be part of it. And are there any particular, I guess the title for this podcast is The Female Career, have there been any particular challenges or obstacles that you might have faced as a woman in your career? So many that it's, and I think I coped with it in my early career by adopting, you know, I just was in denial. I was in denial it was ever a problem and that was good and bad. But I vividly remember when I was a young accountant and I would be going onto these huge um, sites, big businesses in the north of England. I'd be leading a team of 10 people and I used to have to get through the door first of all ahead of my any male colleagues because I knew, even though I was leading the team, that the managing director of the business I was going into would be looking for the guy to shake his hand. So I used to race through the door like a lunatic with my hand out to make sure that it was established in that moment that I was leading the team. So just stupid things like that. And I think the other thing, and I'm sure many other women will relate to this, is you're sitting in a boardroom, and this has happened to me, I'd say, in every boardroom, at every meeting I've ever attended, is that you will make a valid point, which is totally ignored, And then the guy sitting next to you will make the identical point and they will be like, oh, Bob, that was such a good point. Can we have that minuted? Bob, thank you so much. That was a great contribution. That and just being talked over and all those things that literally every woman on the planet experiences. Now I don't stand for it. Now I pull people up and hold them to account. But for at least the first 25 years of my career, I did not. I just kind of brushed it off and carried on. And I think that absolutely is something that I've experienced in meetings as well, both those things, whether it's somebody else taking your idea or getting credit for your idea and and being talked over, being interrupted. Definitely, I felt those. And it sometimes can be tricky, particularly if you're a younger woman in a room with a lot of much older men, you also kind of have that that seniority or, or age piece as well, which makes it different. But great. I think the more of us that can challenge it or to try and make that environment different, then the better it's going to be for others coming through as well. Absolutely. As you said, that you know, resilience has been key for you and through the ups and downs, at the same time, still running your own business is, I can imagine, still a pretty busy life. How do you personally find balance between your working life and, and your broader life? 
I think that's one thing I've always, I think, done kind of instinctively is that I, right from the very beginning, even when I was working kind of the crazy and corporate hours, I just kind of had a rule that I would never do overtime, no matter what. I just do not do overtime. I think it's always counterproductive. So some kind of internal discipline about not feeling like you have to work 18 hours a day every day. You know, I find it really interesting that you've got that discipline to be able to not work overtime. It's not something I'm particularly good at personally, but it's a fantastic discipline to have to be able to kind of shut the computer and go, I'm done for the day. And I can imagine then flows through to the culture that you've created as well, which I'm sure is really nice. It, it is very important to me that people that culturally I try and hold that space as well for my team because it is a profession like like the law as well but the same people can get really obsessed with the hours the billable hours and I always push back very firmly on that we've all got families we've all got friends we've all got other stuff going on that is actually more important than the work <laughs> so bring everything to the work hours and then when you stop the work hours bring everything to the other parts of your life yes and I think if you've kind of given too much of everything sometimes to work or too many hours then there's not all that much left is there yeah no. and from reading a little bit about Beanie and from I'm a CEO activator myself and I know it was critical in terms of helping you to raise some funds a while back to really to grow Beanie I'd love if you might share any pieces of advice for other female entrepreneurs who might be thinking about how do I raise some funds to grow my business? Any of your thoughts and experiences from your own experience of raising capital? Yep, I talk about this a lot. So for me, raising capital, I've tried every single way. I feel like I am now, if I could graduate in capital raising as a woman, I, I feel like I, sh- I should be, I should just be able to get that graduation. I think it's really hard just to sum it up quickly, but you need credibility And for me, when I was capital raising in my early career, the credibility of being a chartered accountant was super useful. It's like just a sort of a stamp of credibility, which I found really helpful. So the credibility is key. I think not undervaluing yourself and your business. As women, we tend to undervalue our companies. And once you've done that, you're on a really slippery slope because what it means is that you dilute too fast, you lose control too fast. And I think women have in the past done that. I did it. I've done it. So I know that. But so don't undervalue your companies and get really good professional advice around that. The other thing, of course, and this actually is the same whether you're male or female, it's like persist. Ignore the nose, keep going. And the final thing, and you mentioned Shio, which was absolutely fundamental to our last and successful cap raise, was lean into women to help you on your fundraising. So the reason why we had such a successful last cap raise was because Teresa Getting, via Shio invested in Beanie. The minute she invested, it was like, it was a stampede of investment because she's got that name, obviously, and experience and her judgment is trusted. But without Shio, I would not have had that successful capital raise. And it's, gosh, a wealth of super advice. And I appreciate you did it quite quickly, but so many fantastic nuggets, actually. And not only the persistence, you know, the credibility, but also I think, yeah, actually, that the you know, funding has for so long been dominated by men actually to lean more into women and in their support because actually they're probably also more likely to get potentially the business idea that you might be coming up with, which I think is important in terms of credibility. Yeah, just there's a few points in there I'd like to just kind of go a little deeper on. So credibility, what I've just been doing and I presented it, I've just presented it to the BNZ and I'm presenting it in different forums is how much better female-led companies do than male-led companies. So there is literally no excuse. We 
We grow our revenue faster as women. We grow our profit faster as women. Uh, we are more sustainable typically than men. In every single investment metric, female-led companies are better to invest in. So we need to just credibility, we need to get these kind of stats out there. And in terms of valuation, somebody, a man gave me this formula, which I just try and share with everybody because it's quite interesting. What he said to me was, first of all, you work out how much money you want. So let's say you want to raise $1 million. Okay, that's what you want to raise. And then you work out how much of your company you're prepared to sell. So he said, let's say it's 10%. So if you want 1 million and you're prepared to dilute by 10%, then the value of the company is $10 million. Full stop. You just go out and say, my company is worth $10 million. As women, we tend to look at it the other way around. Oh, I'm going to make this profit and it's going to be worth this much to you in the future and blah, blah, blah. But I love the way, I just love the simplicity of looking at it from the other point of view. What do you want? What do you need as a woman? And ask for that. Mm, that's great advice on both fronts and, and a super helpful extra level of detail actually in terms of how do you value your own com- company mm. and having the confidence to actually to recognize actually how much it genuinely is worth. Super, thank you. And we talked so a little bit about some of your more challenging career moments, but I'd love to flip that around a little bit. If you look back, what have been some of your proudest career moments? must admit, just doing a quick scamper through my whole career, I I was very proud of the work that I did in my early days. I was the first person chosen in Deloitte to to lead lead an audit team in my year. And that that was very proud for me, particularly as there were four women out of 18. So it was good that it was a woman. That was cool. I was very happy with my first company, which I started when I was pregnant and sold and made some money and bought my first house with with the sale of that business. So that's a very proud moment. And I'm very proud of Beanie. I look at what I've achieved in a relatively short amount of time and I've become somehow the CEO of a technology company, which (laughs) still makes me laugh because, and certainly makes my CTO laugh because I'm not very technically minded, but I do understand how to use technology to help people. Yeah, so I'm very proud of the company at Beanie. Wonderful. And I think, you know, sometimes that's often a hesitation is that, gosh, if I want to have a technology company, I need to somehow very technologically minded myself but actually you can bring other people in to do some of that if you've got perhaps the vision or the people leadership or the relationship management or whatever other skills that you know you have because you've got the finance side rather than trying to be it all and, and do it all in your organization there's I think there's an increasingly number of um, particularly female founders of technology companies who don't have a technology background themselves which I think is super I think that's the way it's going to be isn't it I think that because we can we understand other really critical parts of the business equation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, I'm interested, you talked about that sort of cyclical nature of your career to date. You've been doing Beanie now for eight, eight, seven, eight years now. So it's, I'm wondering if it has the, the cycle changed. Where do you see your own career heading in the future? I think the cycle has changed. I think I found my kind of my place in the world with this company. It's because it brings together those two really interesting parts of my life, my understanding of the numbers and my deep connection to those and then my market, which I really enjoy and I really 
I want to make a difference for small business owners. So I think it's maybe I've broken my um, three-year voodoo. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, and I think it, it, it definitely struck me when I was thinking about what you're doing now is it's the first role that, you know, I don't know in detail all the other businesses that you've run, but yeah. that's really combined, yes, your training ground and deep expertise in accountancy alongside all that fantastic small business experience and together in one. So, it, as you say, perhaps not a surprise that it feels more like you've landed in and feel a bit more like home in, in this current role. Yes, I think so. And I and I love my team of, of people that I work with as well and the way in which the way in which this has kind of organically grown into this amazing kind of cohort of passionate accountants. Haha, <laughs> that sounds funny when I say it out loud, doesn't it? Passionate accountants. <laughs> I'm going to change my brand. Uh, it's not in fact an oxymoron. Um, uh, <laughs> I love it. And then one last question, Sue. That I'd, we've talked a little bit about advice around getting funding for your business, but I'd love to hear what more I guess, what broader career advice you would have for, for other women? Um, God, I, you can probably tell um, I'm probably not I'm the worst. I'm probably the worst person to take careers advice from, I would say, roughly speaking. But what, what I always say to younger women, get a professional qualification. Doesn't matter what it's in. Doesn't matter if you don't use it, but get it. Because I think, you know, talking about credibility, we need the credibility sometimes of the piece of paper. So I'm a huge, and then, you know, get your chartered accountancy or your law degree or your philosophy degree or whatever it is. And then you can stand on that and start to build other things. So for me, that's really important. Apart from that, I, I, as you can tell, my career has meandered all over the place. I've followed my instinct. I've done nothing systematically. Um, probably the only other piece of career advice, this is weird, buy a bloody house as soon as you can. I just think that property is another way for women to insulate themselves against the, you know, the ebbs and flows of life. Yeah, super. So some life advice thrown in there alongside the career one. But I think it's interesting that you you talked about that, you know, for yourself, you followed your instinct and that, that you, know, you talked about it's meandering or kind of, you know, twisting and turning. And I think for women to recognise that that's okay, that it doesn't, your career doesn't need to form kind of one straight linear path in a single direction, actually, that there, that each of those experiences you can learn something from and sometimes following that instinct will well turn out to be the best thing that you ever did. So it's interesting, you kind of didn't offer that as advice, but for me, it felt like something that a lot of women need to hear to know that even if it is a bit twisty and turny, that that's, that's okay. Yeah, I think when you're younger, you kind of imagine perhaps that life is linear, that, you know, you'll get a degree, get a good job, get married, have children. You know, like we think it's going to be like that. And, and life is not like that. Life is random, I think. Yeah, it, it certainly is. I can think of, you know, of myself and thinking I was going to have a certain corporate career and I never pictured myself as running my own business or being an entrepreneur in some ways. Exactly. Um, and yet that's where I've, where I've ended up. Yeah. And um, and I still probably struggle with that label a little bit. But um, Why? You know, Why do you struggle with it? What, what's the struggle? Um, I don't know. I think it's because I had probably followed that very traditional path where I worked in big global corporates and uh, it's funny, isn't it, that entrepreneur, I th- you know, I think there's something in my head that somehow sees an entrepreneur as somebody, maybe male, that's possibly also my perspective on it, but somebody who's kind of hard charging, works crazy hours all of the day, maybe technology focused, that and is probably 
raising loads of capital, generating something that's going to change the world? I don't know. I'm wondering, it's a great question in my own head. Why Why do I struggle that, for that label to sit with me? I just kind of feel like I'm doing my thing and need to remember in there that I'm also running a business. You, you Because you are an entrepreneur. And, and one of the things we have to do as women is we have to kind of fully step into these spaces. Because if we don't, then our funders are definitely not, you know, like we've got to step confidently into the space. Even if you don't feel it, you just have to, you know, fake it. Step in confidently. Yeah, absolutely. Good, a good question back for me. I'm not used to being on the other side, but it's <laughs> it's, it's less comfortable, but I like it. It's, uh, I appreciate you asking the question because ho- uh, well, I guess I guess hopefully some of my uh, stumblings over that may be useful to somebody else as well. So it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. And for me, it's a really fascinating one with the, that cyclical nature, but then to have found a way ultimately to combine the two and just some fabulous insights and lessons there, hopefully for, for other women who are running their own businesses. So thank you so much. You are incredibly welcome, Anna. It was a pleasure, a pleasure to talk with you and I hope to catch up with you again soon. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon. Thank you.